2: Damian Lillard, to that point, he said, you know, he wasn't irritated that Chris Haynes wrote it. He's a writer. That's what writers do. He's like, but I do know because of our relationship that people might assume that I was tied to the story. You know, so that's the only thing that bothered me about it. But I'm just saying, hypothetically, if he liked what the... He never said said that he didn't like it and he never said that what Chris Haynes wrote was
3: not uh, in line with what he was thinking and feeling. He never said that. (laughs) Okay. LeBron James calls for the job of whoever came up with the play-in tournament, Aaron Rodgers and player empowerment, possibly coming to the NFL. Plus, is boxing still good? And filmmaker, writer, and producer Adam McKay joins us to talk about his podcast, Death at the Wing, plus other projects, and to play Take Survivor, it's Take Line, right now. I'm Jason Concepcion.
2: And I'm Renee Montgomery. Let's get it!
3: Welcome to TakeLine. Uh, quick note about today's recording. Renee Montgomery, you are coming to us from Atlanta, as you always do, but the weather in Atlanta is threatening, if not dangerous. What's going on?
2: <laughs> the weather is wild here in Atlanta. We had a tornado warning. It's kind of crazy because I was on a staff meeting call this morning and all the staff just kind of jumped out of the call, like dropped from the call. And we were like, well, oh that's gosh. weird. And then they all were like, yeah, we're going to probably have to go um, down some floors because our office building is high. But there's a real tornado warning that happened here in Atlanta, just so people know. And it's kind of knocking out the Wi-Fi's. It's making some people have to shelter in place. Um, My best friend had to go in a closet. So it's like it was pretty bad weather um, here today in Atlanta.
3: Well, uh, I'm glad you're safe. And I'm hoping that everybody else in the Atlanta area is safe. That is truly alarming.
2: Yeah, it's crazy because it's like, I don't know. I didn't really expect that here, but long story short, we in here. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. Okay, so after missing 20 games with a high right ankle sprain, LeBron James returned to the lineup over the weekend. And needless to say, the games didn't go necessarily how he had wanted them to go. They They were underwhelming to a lot of people. But after the game on Sunday... LeBron had some pointed comments at the play-in tournament. He stated whoever (laughs) came up with that basically needs to be fired. And when I'm saying basically, he literally said whoever came up with that needs to be fired. Um, I don't know if this is just... You always have to take things players say with a grain of salt. Like I say that all the time. If somebody puts a mic in front of you after you just lost a competition and they want you to be grateful, that's always something that I think athletes do on a regular that doesn't get commended enough. However, sometimes after a loss, players say things. So, Jason... What do you think about that? Is LeBron, is this just him blowing off some steam after a rough couple of games? Like, what are, what do you feel about that?
3: Well, uh, first of all, let's explain that uh, uh, the play-in tournament is a wrinkle that the NBA added after uh, – it had been talked about for many years, but they added it last postseason in the bubble. And the way it used to work in the NBA was – Top eight teams in both conferences, Eastern and Western, would uh, just go on and play in the playoffs, right? The way it works in the play in era is uh, the seventh and eighth place teams play each other, and the ninth and tenth place teams play each other, and then the winner of the ninth and tenth place team bracket goes on to play the loser of the 7th and 8th place team bracket, and then the winner of the 7th and 8th place team bracket just goes on and becomes the 7th scene in the playoffs. So, in other words, we've added extra games. It's still the playoffs, but it's just conceptually something different, much like the wild card in NFL. You know, like, I get it. If I'm LeBron, I get it. First of all, as you mentioned, coming right after a loss, the defense is still there, Uh, And it was there when LeBron and AD were out. But obviously, AD and LeBron are the scoring engines for that team. That's where the points are going to come from. And that's a team, any team with LeBron James is a team with finals aspirations. And coming off of the deep playoff run all the way to the NBA championship in the bubble, the short offseason and now the extremely dense current season that we are in, The prospect of playing more games to get into the playoffs when in the past you would have just been in as the seventh or eighth seed, I can understand why that is supremely annoying to LeBron James. That said, the whole reason for having the play-in was to generate interest in these late April, early May games coming down the stretch of the season when uh, fans might tend to tune out. And I think the fact that you're getting these kind of like snippy comments from LeBron James as well as Mark Cuban, and we'll get into that in a second, mean that it's working as intended, right? Like people uh, people are caring about these games. Uh, LeBron James in particular is caring about this game. Like this is a game that really mattered. Um, and it's so – therefore it's working,
2: Yeah, and to that point, if you're an organization and the NBA is a business, I always have to say that because people need to realize sports is a business. If you're a business business. and you have one of your stars bringing more attention to the business, there's never a bad look for the NBA. Like they want the discussions to happen. You know, I remember when All Star happened, right? And the captains and choosing the captains and choosing the teams that they thought that that was the craziest thing. They didn't like it. The NBA didn't stop it because everyone thought it was crazy and they didn't like it. They kept on the course because it's generating more attention. It's generating more media. Yeah. And we know, anybody that knows that works in the business, that's always a good thing. There's no there's no such thing as bad press in a sense of, if they're talking about you, that's a good thing. Now, having said that, if you make right? the top yeah. eight, like you, you're like, look, we got to be one of the top eight teams at the end of the season. All we got to do as a player, what we talk about is, all we got to do is get into the postseason, and that's a brand new season. You start a brand new slate. Once we make the playoffs, you have a new season. And so now, conceptually, what players we talk to and tell ourselves, you're changing it. Because now you don't just have to make it to the eight or seven spot. You got to make it there, and then you got to win a game to still stay there. So I think that's the problem. It's almost like, you know, we, we talked about the Super Leagues. We don't have that fallout, yeah. fall-in accountability type of thing. And right. so... We're not liking it.
3: Let me ask you a question. So J.A. A. J. Dondé, former ESPN uh, personality, currently the uh, director of sports journalism at the Medell uh, Journalism School, uh, tweeted uh, earlier today, we're taping this on a Monday, if the plane ends up costing the NBA, the Lakers, and Celtics for the playoffs, you've got to figure there will be consequences, maybe not lost jobs, but that the format would change. Um Do you buy into this like there, this is always a point, uh, a talking point as we enter the postseason is that, oh, man, the Spurs, you know that the NBA doesn't want to see the Spurs. And I'm sure like as as a a player coming from UConn, you must have gotten these same kind of like criticisms leveled at at your teams. Oh, you know, you know that the NCAA wants UConn in in this to make a deep run like it's so important to them. What do you make of this idea of of. Um, The NBA paying that close attention to teams with regards to the amount of ratings that they would garner. It's like, do you buy into this like conspiracy theory at all?
2: So this is what I buy into. I buy into that the league probably had no idea that the Lakers or the Celtics would be a part of this play-in game. Of course. I think when they were thinking about the play-in game, they were thinking about teams like me and you, the Atlanta Hawks, New York Knicks. Imagine them usually not being a playoff team. But now these are some big market teams that maybe now there's a way to get us in the playoffs. I think they were thinking of it from the other side of it. I think that most people going into this season where this was already in place, the play-in game, I think that if you had to ask before the season started, would the Lakers be playing in a play-in game? Would the Celtics be playing into a play-in game? I think that most people would be like, "Uh, no, they're going to be a top seed. Now it's starting to get interesting because of that. Now, to answer your question, though, I do think the NBA has a wish list. Like I don't necessarily know if they would try to go and conjure up how to get them there. But of course the NBA wants their big market teams. I mean, they would love, it would be nothing better than the Lakers Celtics finals. You know, like, of course that's going to generate interest. Now, do they go about trying to do things to make that happen? I really don't think so. I think that they're in the money making business. What more ways can they make money? What more ways can they bring excitement? Like I said, it's the same as the all-star game. I think people thought they were starting to get a little boring. So, what did they start to do? They wanted to switch it up. Let's have captains. I think this is a money making idea in a sense of how can we switch things up to generate interest.
3: You know, I think that the Lakers and the Celtics should have just uh, tried to win more games.
2: They to be in the playoffs.
3: You know, have they thought? So about there's that? that. Have they considered to try to do that? Uh, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers pick the perfect moment to sneak attack the NFL and the sporting world when uh, he announced or it was reported during last week's NFL draft that he, um, after years of clashing with the Green Bay front office, wants out of Green Bay. Green Bay took an offensive lineman, uh, Josh Myers, out of Ohio State in the second round. Um, But of course, they took a a quarterback in the in the previous year's draft. Uh, But is this a little too late? And how uh, are we beginning to see, you know, with this, with Tom Brady moving out of New England, are we beginning to see the kind of hints of the kind of player empowerment movement that we have seen in the NBA now coming to the NFL?
2: You know, it's interesting because in the NBA, like people are moving around all the time. It's very common now. It's not even, very rarely now from this point on are you going to see a player that probably plays for one organization their whole career. But when you look in the NFL, it's not so much movement because you know a lot of basketball players' faces. Well, football players, you really just don't. Just the the nature of the sport. They wear helmets. But for Aaron Rodgers to do this, I mean, I think everybody saw what Tom Brady did. A lot of people thought, people were torn about the Tom Brady move. I don't know if everyone assumed that he would be able to to win a championship right out the gates. But now, once it's happened, once you've seen a player that's a little bit up there in age, you know, he's an older player. It's no question. Tom Brady's older. And now you saw him move to a new team, find a way to be successful. Well, now Aaron Rodgers is like, hey, look, I can do what Tom Brady did. You know, I don't have to stay here and just finish out my career because I'm old. I think players taking back that power, that's that's new. You know, that's 2020 type of new. And I, I will almost pose the question to you, is there a right way to seek change of scenery? Because I remember when James Harden did it in yeah. the NBA, you know, that didn't go over well. But then I remember when other players have done it and it has not been as big of a deal. Every time LeBron James moves, it's a big deal. But there's some players that have demanded a trade and, you know, like Kyrie Irving, he's moved around and people don't really mind and he's a superstar. So is there a right way, Jason, or is like, what what is that?
3: You know, it's interesting because I feel like This is the kind of conversation uh, a player taking agency in their own career outside maybe of the the window afforded to them by their contract that is inevitably just tilted against the player. On the one hand, you have the uh, fans of a particular team that are just going to be hit in an emotional way about a star player wanting out, right? That's just going to affect them differently. Um, Even if there is some blame to go around with a GM or a front office, the star is the star. The star is the person in the spotlight and that's just the person that is inevitably going to garner most of the heat, most of the press, and most of the criticism. It's it's just kind of like a no-win. Now, I do think that Time kind of heals all wounds, and then especially if player when players move on, like Kevin Durant, who uh, who moved on from Oklahoma City and then went to Golden State and is now in Brooklyn. I think if you win, some of that criticism is blunted. There is still that oh, you joined a super team kind of way to, to like discredit the the accomplishments, but I think I do think the cri- the criticisms are then blunted. But I you know in any kind of situation like this. The everyday fan, I think, is just—we are just kind of programmed over years and decades and entire lifetime of watching sports to side with teams over players. I don't know that that's necessarily fair, but it just feels like it's that way. I, 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 I do notice too. There is, there is like a real difference in the way uh, these players are perceived. Like LeBron James, they burned his jersey. It yeah. was his fault. Uh, he was uh, disloyal, but like, uh, when it's Aaron Rodgers, w- well, Tom Brady, first of all, didn't get that kind of criticism. One, it's at least not outside, uh, of Massachusetts. And then if it's like, you know, if it's like a white player, then it's like the Yoko Ono story. Like how did Shailene Woodley, how, how is she influencing, uh, Aaron Rodgers and causing him to leave his team? It's always like that. All of which is to say, we always blame the player, right? It's always the player's fault. There's no way for a player to want out that's going to insulate them from this kind of thing.
2: So having said that, when you get to a player, and a player knows that in the back of their mind, like even when I was a player, you know that people aren't going to perceive you basically outright asking to leave. Then when we look at the Damian Lillard situation, does it make sense? Like, you know what I mean? Like, a player, if a player knows that if I come out right and say, and I'm not saying that Damian Lillard told Chris Haynes anything, I'm just saying, but knowing what we know about how fans perceive players, like, what do we feel about the Damian Lillard situation now is what I'm saying.
3: That's a great one. So Chris Haynes uh, last week uh, at Yahoo, Chris Haynes, a great reporter, NBA reporter for Yahoo, who has um, historically throughout the course of his career had uh, really good connections to Damian Lillard as a source of stories and just seems to always understand what Dame is thinking and and what his intentions are. He wrote a story last week. Uh, Basically saying that Dame is unhappy. Uh, Part of the story says, quote, uh, from the oppressive collection of corporate partners to the national TV spots to repping the trailblazers like no other to the arduous task of trying to recruit high level talent to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Damian Lillard has displayed an unprecedented loyalty to the franchise. Uh, it goes on to say that he's the greatest uh, player in Blazers history. I'm not actually sure about that, but we'll table that for now. He has never issued an ultimatum to the management and approach most superstar venture, most superstars venture down when they feel the roster hasn't been up to par for years. Lillard uh, recently said that he had no role in, in, in the writing of this uh, column, which is again not a thing that anyone said, I think it's very interesting, right? Because you know, to me, there's a real value as a Knicks fan, right? As a Knicks fan who's watched my team be bad for 20 years, there's a real value to just kind of always being in the mix. Like the thing I love about Damian Lillard, aside from his loyalty, uh, is he has the Blazers just always in the mix. Yes, they there are a few down years, but they're always like in the playoffs and they are always a very dangerous team to play. And that in and of itself, as a person who is starved for playoff content from the team that I follow, um, I think there's a value to that. That being said, this is the way we talked about, like, you know, is there a right way and a wrong way for a player to ask out? I think that this is part of it that, uh, Teams and team executives, they have an entire marketing department. They have an entire social media department. They can issue uh, official proclamations. A player often doesn't have that. And I think that if this is the way that you need, that a player feels that they need to, to broadcast that, hey, pick it up, I don't have a problem with it. This is kind of the way the world works. Like coaches, execs. Team owners, they take shots of players all the time and they do it like out in the open. Like uh, if this is the way that Dame Lillard felt that he needed to move the needle. You
2: are preaching to my heart right now. Yes, I agree. And and that's This is part of the game. It's part of the game. And you know what has really changed the game? Social media. Because now a player actually has somewhere where they can actually release a response. I mean, JJ Watt, let's use him for example. He released where he was going. He did that all from his social media. That's your new platform. That's your new media, but that's new because before that wasn't a thing. You Fans would only hear one side of every story. A player's a problem in the locker room. Why? You know, is there is there something going on in the locker room with the coach and the player? But we don't hear about that. All we hear about is a player's a problem. And so I think that when you look at if a player does want to leave, you know, I remember people were trying to say Bradley Bill earlier yeah. in this season. They were like, get Bradley Bill out he of said never He never, never said, said, said anything it. ever. He never said anything ever, but it was the fan base that was basically trying to save him. But to that point, how does a player save himself without now not being called loyal or, you know, now not having the fans burn up all my jerseys because I want to leave. Like there really was no out for players. So, you know, Damian Lillard, to that point, he said, you know, he wasn't irritated that Chris Haynes wrote it. He's a writer. That's what writers do. He's like, but I do know because of our relationship that people might assume that I was tied to the story. You know, so I, that's the only thing that bothered me about it. But I'm just saying, hypothetically, if he liked what the he never he said that he, he didn't, said like, that he didn't like it. Said. And he never said that
3: what Chris Haynes wrote was not Uh, in line with what he was
2: thinking and feeling he never said that okay okay he basically said look I didn't tell Chris to write it but maybe y'all should read what Chris (laughs) is writing and talking about because we do got a little bit of issues over here that's all I'm saying so I think this best case scenario for Damian Lillard like if Chris wrote an article that said all of his feelings and he doesn't have to be tied to it amazing Like, that's amazing. I
3: could not agree more. Listen, loyalty is a word in sports that was created to get players to take less money than they are worth.
2: Hello, somebody. Woo, you better. Let me snap for that because I'm trying to tell you. If people don't know, because the only people that have to be loyal in sports are athletes. Teams have never been asked to no, be loyal. No, they'll coaches cut you coaches <laughs> have never been asked to be loyal. It's only players that are asked to be loyal. So you're asking players to be loyal to someone that doesn't have to be loyal to them. It's very difficult in that aspect. So like I said, that could be best case scenario for Damian Lillard. He's like, look, I'm not irritated. I'm not attached to it. But hey, there's an article there. All right, so undefeated champ. Floyd Mayweather is scheduled to fight notable YouTuber Logan oh, Paul in a June 6th exhibition in Miami. What is happening? It. Okay, so <laughs> the fight was originally scheduled for February 20th and includes a possible, listen to this, $100 million <laughs> payout for Floyd Mayweather. So in case anybody was wondering, why in the world would Floyd Mayweather, the undefeated, undisputed, Champ of the world be fighting a YouTuber. Well, yeah, a hundred million, million. million dollars might change any anyone's minds. And so I'm just like, how do we feel about these Jasons? Are these exhibition fights a good or bad thing for boxing? Like if you remember Nate Robinson with Logan, Paul's brother, Jake Paul. But I, I hope that
3: Nate is OK, by the way, because he got put down in a way that was actually like scary, like he got knocked out in a concerning yeah. way.
2: Very much so. So are they good or bad for boxing? Because, like, I feel bad. I'm torn. Like, I know that as a a boxer that has been fighting your whole life, you pray for an opportunity like this. You put in the time, the blood, sweat, and the tears to fight Floyd Mayweather, and then you see a YouTuber rocking up and fighting him. So I know that that's not good. And then I also know that I'm the terrible consumer that I'm going to watch it. I hate to say it out loud, but I'm probably going to watch it I I don't know what to say. So I'm torn. I'm shamed with my own self, but I watch them.
3: Yeah, I think that, first of all, I'm, I'm sure like boxing purists, like Max Kellerman type people have very serious feelings and arguments about this particular topic. To me, it's like bad for boxing. Boxing like historically has been one of the most corrupt sports that there is fight fixing paying like paying off of judges people taking dives that's not just stuff in the movies that's stuff that's like has actually happened throughout the course of boxing's uh history uh you know and i think that uh, obviously boxing was was uh, for a time one of the major, major sports in in America, one of the major sports in this country, along with like horse racing and baseball for like a good five decades, six decades. Those were like the big sports in this country. Um, I just think that we're in a place right now with boxing where it's almost in its most purest form, uh, which is it is a spectacle based on an audience's interest in watching two people beat each other up who we really want to see get beaten up. And I think that this is a perfect example of that. Like uh, there's a lot of people out there who want to see Logan Paul get beat up. Similarly, there are a lot of people out there, though I don't expect it to happen at all, who would love to see Floyd Mayweather get touched up. I think, listen, I I think I expect Floyd Mayweather to toy with Logan Paul for like two rounds and then just kind of like slowly, slowly, slowly close the boom on him. But I think this is just like boxing in its purest form. It's like schoolyard stuff. We want to see two people who don't like each other, who we don't like fight. Just like we did, like, when we were back in elementary school. Like, that's what it is. No,
2: I mean, it makes sense because you look at it, some of the bad guys, like, look at a Conor McGregor. We know that he's not even just a villain in the the octagon, but we also know that he actually gets in trouble. But that made his stock rise. He started getting bigger fights, bigger paydays because... Yeah, we want to see him get his face pushed in. And the same thing is happening for Jake Paul. Everybody is so mad that Jake Paul are getting these these fight options and these big paydays, but this is basically like an entertainment. This is an event, almost think concert style. And to that point, the fight is taking place in Florida. The The promoters are able to sell tickets to a full crowd. That would be 65,000 people going to an event. <laughs> oh so I, like everything about oh this event, God. it's at the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens in Florida, 65,000 capacity availability. It's called a special exhibition, but I mean, this is just, think concert. That's why I said this is an entertainment.
3: You know, formerly in the past, like for a real, like a sanctioned, quote unquote, boxing uh, match, uh, the weights would have to match. Uh, we'd care about reach, you know, not like uh, Logan Paul is 20 years younger than Floyd, he's 50 pounds heavier with a six inch reach advantage. Do we care about any of this? No, like, uh, uh, do we care if Logan makes weight or if Floyd like bulks up to no? That's like, we just want people just want to see them fight, and like, there's uh, no rule. this is, I think, that you know, as sad as it might be to real boxing aficionados and, and people who really care about the sweet sciences, so called, I think this is like kind of the future of what this sport is. Like, this is kind of the future of boxing is these stunt
2: fights. 100%. And then you look at at, at the, again, entertainment aspect. So Logan Paul, his his brother, Jake Paul, has been in three fights. He's had three knockouts. He We talked about Nate Robinson, Ben Askren. And, and the reason I say that is because they're putting on a show. And as long as there is a show to be put on, they're going to keep doing it. They have Snoop yeah. Dogg as the announcer for these. So I'm talking about, when I talk about putting on a show, like they had in the past ones with, with his brother, Jake Paul, they had performances by famous rappers. They had, it was an A-lister, star-studded event. So when you look at it as in, this is not a sporting event, this is an entertainment yeah. event. Well, then it makes a lot of Agreed. sense. I mean, they're, they're getting millions of dollars in these fights as much as you would for any other big time pay-per-view special. So... I mean, I don't I don't see it stopping. I I don't either. And and
3: here's the other thing about the appeal is if you like either one of these people, great, you might you'll you'll tune in. If you hate either one of these people, guess what? You'll tune in because it's a perfect heat watch. It's uh, amazing. I really do think that uh, this is maybe the direction that that boxing is heading in.
5: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
3: Finally, we have to check in on the fallout from the European Super League. It continues, Renee. Oh, it continues. So over the weekend, Uh, Manchester United and Liverpool, two teams that were supposed to be in the uh, European Super League, uh, were scheduled to play a match Sunday at Old Trafford, Manchester United's ground. Uh, There were a there was a crowd of uh, reportedly about a thousand fans that protested outside the arena. It turned aggressive, violent, even like scenes This is, like, hyperbolic, but kind of reminiscent of, like, the Capitol with, like, fans fighting through lines of police officers who were beating them back with, like, truncheons and stuff. One officer required emergency hospital treatment after sustaining a significant slash to the face when they threw a bottle at him. The fans then managed to breach uh, Old Trafford and were uh, dancing around on the grounds. They had flares. They had signs uh, wanting the the glazers out. And this uh, protest was... Uh, from a real hardcore section of Manchester United fans who just want the Glazers who uh, the Glazer brothers are the owners of Manchester United they are also the owners of the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh they the Glazers bought Manchester United uh, back in 2005 using a basically credit like they they didn't have the money they borrowed the money and since that time uh Manchester United's finances have been significantly hindered because they've been having to pay the the debt down so they they basically have they bought something and then funneled the profits off of that team into the debt and the fans absolutely hate it so uh, this is part of the fallout from the European Super League and also the fact that American owners and the influence of American owners are, are are so front and center to the conversations around the Super League. So you're seeing fans just act in a way that we're kind of not used to here in America. Um, it, it is it, wild scenes. Like imagine here if fans of the Denver Broncos or something or the Jets. The, the Jets is, are good because they've been historically like really struggling over the past couple of decades were so upset with the way the team was run that they broke into the stadium on game day and like had flares and stuff such that like the jets would have to cancel the game. Really incredible scenes over in over in England right now.
2: That's the, that's the negative part in a sense of like they will storm the building and get you out of there. And even if it's your team, but the the cool part to me is imagine being that passionate about your sports team. The reason I say that is because, Like, we saw with LeBron when he was playing with the Cavs. His fan base was there at the Cavs. And when he went to Miami, they went to Miami. When he went back to Cleveland, they went back to Cleveland. And now his fans are over there in L.A. Because that's kind of how things work here. We're almost more a fan of players in America than we are of necessarily sports teams. Like, people will easily switch their fan, whoever they're a fan of. But when you look at these teams Not overseas, the you might be born into what oh, team yeah. you will cheer for for the rest of your life. Like if your dad or your family is a fan of Manchester, you're a fan of Manchester because you grew up in that household. Absolutely. and It's that serious. So it's just way different to see over there. And like I said, I played overseas for 10 years, so I've seen it at the basketball level. It's like that. But there is nothing like soccer or football over there like that is just different.
3: It's just way, way different. In Scotland's top flight of football, uh, the big rivalry there is between Rangers and Celtic. And over the years, that rivalry has become a stand-in for... Uh, tensions between Protestants and Catholics. The Protestants support Rangers. The Catholics support Celtic. So you can imagine, like the kind of battles that happen on the game day there, right? And the kind of banter that goes back and forth. It's just like a different level of engagement with sports over there. Like we think that we're intense. There is a different level of intensity they will that taps die into about like
2: their sports teams over there. they, like, they really are about will that life.
3: Coming up next. We are joined by Adam McKay. We are so psyched to have the following guest on with us today. He is director, producer, writer. You've definitely seen uh, many of his projects, uh, whether it be uh, sketches on SNL, uh, the movies like Anchorman, TV shows like Succession, movies like The Big Short and Vice, just to name a few. He's got a new podcast out now called Death at the Wing. How Drugs, Tragedy, and the Reagan Revolution Defined a Decade of Basketball. Please welcome to Take Line, Adam McKay. Adam, how are you?
0: I am good, Jason. Thanks for having me on.
3: Adam, well, first of all, how are you feeling about uh, the NBA this season? How are you feeling about the Sixers? Uh, What are you thinking?
0: I, uh, well, first off, it's incredible that we got the bubble. It's incredible that we got this season. So given that we're in the middle of a, you know, historic once every, what, 100 year pandemic, the fact Mm -hmm. that I'm actually watching basketball that's entertaining and enjoyable is remarkable. So mostly I'm grateful and kind of astounded. That having been said, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, COVID protocols, players going out. There's been some injuries because of the weird schedule But, uh, you know, at a certain point, I'm just going to be incredibly happy that I'm getting to see Zion Williamson play point guard and shut my mouth. (laughs) Uh,
3: It is an an unbelievable uh, experience to watch a human being of those proportions handle the ball and seemingly uh, uh, roll with just like an unstoppable amount of force to wherever he wants on the court. It, it seems like nobody can stop him. People just bounce off of him. It's like a video game. I mean, it's like,
0: I was trying to explain to my wife the other day, who was completely humoring me and wanting to leave the room. And <laughs> I, I couldn't even describe it. Cause the game was on. And I was like, look at this. And right. I, I did a bunch of really bad comparisons. I'm like, it's like Orlando Pace, one of the great offensive linemen." Yeah. Men, in NBA history is dancing in a ballet and is really good at it. Uh, and then I like tried 10 other things. I'm like, just look, he like physically doesn't <laughs> look right for an NBA right. court. Like he shouldn't be on that court. And That's then right. he's tiptoeing uh, between, you know, uh, hot coals go into the hoop with this soft touch. Uh, it's an incredible thing. I, my big takeaway from it was, every team should have someone play the point guard that shouldn't be playing the point guard (laughs) that we need to see Mo Bamba play the one for the magic. Like that's it. Like who cares? You're out of the playoffs. Give the rock to Mo Bamba. Let him dribble it up the court.
3: I love it. Uh, I've been listening to death at the wing and it's such a fascinating um, through line and idea for a sports podcast. Tell us a little bit about, um, this podcast and how you came up with the idea and how it came about.
0: It basically came out of a a what if game that I think we all play, which is what if Len Bias had mm. actually made it to the NBA. Yep. He was the guy that maybe, maybe, I mean, Jordan's the, you know, arguably the greatest player ever. But if there was anyone that could have maybe taken it to him, it was Len Bias, had the athleticism, the skill. And then we would play the same game with Drazen Petrovich, who was kind of yeah. Steph Curry before Steph Curry. And then we would play. The same game with Hank Gathers, you know, 6'9 power forward who could shoot. What would have happened? Reggie Lewis on his way to possibly a Hall of Fame career, Benji Wilson. And at that point, I started to just say, wow, this list is really long of players from the 80s and the 90s. And it was lucky enough that our new company, we had started a podcast division of hyperobject industries, and we were lucky enough to hook up with Jody Avergan and a a bunch of great great. producers. And one of the amazing things about podcasts, you can dive into it with the question intact. So that's exactly what we did. We started interviewing a bunch of people and to find out why did it happen in this decade in the early 90s and
3: not in other decades and in other sports. Um, It's really been a a theme of your work, certainly recently, um, uh, the Big Short Vice succession, this idea of this kind of like structural rot at the base of American politics, world capitalism. And I think that that is, you know, if people have been um, closely watching the, the stuff you've been doing, um, even back to sketches and SNL, I think that that kind of through line, that criticism of, of, you know, modern capitalism, I think has always been there. Do you feel that as well? And do you think that it's just been it's just become more overt, certainly over the years? And what what do you think has spurred that? Yeah, I,
0: I was joking with a friend of mine that, you know, for decades uh, we would talk about this stuff and I would have to argue about it and people would say, well, that's my opinion. And the only small, tiny, infinitesimal silver lining to the last five, six years of basically utter collapse is that it's no longer an opinion anymore. <laughs> like We're clearly in trouble. We're clearly yeah. overrun by special interests. Um I, it's you know it's something uh, I, through the years. Uh, a lot of us have laughed about it. A lot of us have been very upset by it. But it, it I, the reason we did this podcast was I remember it as a very visceral thing when it started in the eighties. Yeah. You could feel the wind change when we went from the society of FDR and LBJ, the Great Society and the New Deal, to individualism, Reaganomics. Um, it's hard. It's it's really one of those strange things. Usually the macro doesn't. You can't feel it that personally. Mm. You really, really could. But it also, as often happens, happen to coincide with a lot of really exciting things. Right. With the explosion of African American culture. In America with hip hop and basketball, which was something I just loved right from the get go. So, you know, when you look back at things, it's never one clean line. I I have a lot of fond memories of the 80s going to Fresh Fest at the Spectrum in 1986 (laughs) and seeing Stetsasonic MCs and Public Enemy and and playing a lot of basketball and and seeing black basketball explode and seeing comedy explode in media. There's a yeah. lot of really good memories from the eighties. But then I also saw my friends struggling more and more as their paychecks got leaner yeah. and leaner and the country coming apart. So this seemed like a great, uh, format, a great framework, this, this investigative podcast to kind of dive into that duality.
3: Yeah. And you're known, uh, of course, for your comedic work. Um, how do you marry those two instincts like uh you know the on the one hand this uh, incredibly funny streak that i think has uh, created some of the um uh, most emblematic comedy moments certainly of the last uh, 15 20 years and also this like uh real vein of i think anger and discontentment which you can find in the big short you know vice succession I, you've managed to somehow meld these things together um and how how do you manage to do it like what is the, do you have a formula for doing that
0: i i will I'll use the podcast as kind of the perfect doorway to that that mm. point of view which you know isn't obviously just me there there's been a lot of people through the years that have expressed that you look at the show wonder shows and is a, yeah. a legendary comedy show is a perfect example of a mixture of absurdity with anger with genuine worry and at the same time sometimes just Uh, straight up funny as hell. And, and I, I, the perfect example is really uh, Ronald Reagan. I mean, people forget that guy starred in a bunch of movies opposite a monkey. Uh, (laughs) I I, like, just take that. Like when we were living through it, my my parents and grandparents couldn't believe what they were seeing. The guy from bedtime for Bonzo, like if you're younger, Google bedtime for Bonzo. Look at the movie poster. That was the guy who was the face of the right wing (laughs) revolution. He wasn't the, you know, the conductor of it. He was a spokesperson. Uh, Don't get me wrong. Um, But just that the guy who starred with in a bunch of comedies with a monkey became president I mean, that's (laughs) what we live through. So that's it right there. My reaction to that is life is far stranger than you think it's ever going to be. Life is hilarious. And at the same time, that dude from the comedies with the monkeys really did some dark, dark shit in this country that was pretty infuriating (laughs) and awful. So all of that lives on the same plate together uh, with the same gravy unifying it.
3: Yeah, the the nine uh, scariest words in the English language are uh, "I am Bonzo's co star and I am here to help." Uh, <laughs> uh, you're on your podcast. Uh, you unpack s- several of the tragedies. You mentioned the death of Jocelyn Petrovich, the shocking passing of Len Pius. Um, was there anything that in the course of these, uh, the research for these, anything that, that really stood out that struck you and anything that, um, you know, really affected you in a way that maybe you weren't expecting? I think
0: by far the craziest, most affecting emotional interview was with Billy Moore, who was Mm -hmm. the gentleman, young man, he was 16 years old at the time who pulled the trigger, uh, to shoot and kill Benji Wilson. Mm. And I interviewed him. And uh, first off, it's just incredibly emotional to talk with a guy who took, you know, another man's life, uh, a rising star, a a beacon of hope for Chicago, but also to talk to a young man who was imprisoned at that age, treated like an adult, uh, railroaded, uh, not afforded an attorney, basically coerced into signing a confession, but... Most moving about it was the last act of his life, what he's dedicated his life to, which is stopping violence in the streets, reaching out to people who've been traumatized by the same violence he was a part of. And there's a story where he meets with Benji Wilson's two brothers in an attempt to reconcile that I, I won't tell the story now, but it's one of the most beautiful heartbreaking things i've ever heard so that 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 interview for me really stands out and hearing jerry west hall of fame basketball player really truly open up about his yeah. uh, battles with mental health that that i mean that guy's a a, a legend he's an assassin yeah. he's a a badass and there's a vulnerability and a courage in the way he expresses yep. himself that was so inspiring for me uh
3: i could not agree more the jerry west some of the jerry west interviews were were Truly startling. Um, Adam, lastly, the Knicks are good. What does this mean? <laughs> what does this mean uh, for America? What does it mean for the world? What does it mean for all of us who have to share this globe? It hasn't happened in a long time, and it's happening now. And I find myself every day waking up completely at odds with how to deal with it. Um, what do you think? What is your take on this? It's a lot.
0: It's a lot to handle. You know, with that eco-philosopher Timothy Morton calls yeah. forces that are simply beyond our understanding hyperobjects. Yeah. Uh, which is what our company is named after. And, and the Knicks being good as a hyper object. If you look at the early seventies, poverty <laughs> was at its lowest in U.S. history. That's right. Uh, the middle class was stronger than it's ever been. Wages right. for the majority of Americans were higher. Guess what else was happening during that time, Jason? The Knicks were winning championship rings. That's uh, right. The Knicks being good, it's a bellwether for human civilization, Um, it's the, (laughs) amidst the climate catastrophe, amidst a raging borderline genocidal income inequality, the military industrial, we see one little sprout. That's right. uh, Bursting into a new day sun. And that is Julius Randle becoming LeBron James Jr.
3: Uh, Listen, I don't think that it's a Coincidence that over the last two decades, we have seen, uh, you know, the debacle of the Iraq war, uh, the collapse of the subprime loan scheme, which led to an incredible collapse of our banking system uh, that we have now seen this uh, pandemic and now hopefully a, a ray of sunshine. I I, I hope that that is the case, Adam McKay. It's all we got. It's all we got, and I'm hanging on to it with dear life and all the strength that I have in me. May Reggie Bullock continue to hit threes. May Julius Randle hold up under this incredible onslaught of minutes that Tom Thibodeau is laying upon his shoulders because, in fact, the entire fate of the human race lays upon those shoulders.
0: Jason, it's no coincidence that 10 minutes after Steve Francis was signed by the Knicks... (laughs) We commenced the bombing of Baghdad. That's right. I could, I could read a list of these. Eddie Curry, 20 minutes after his contract was signed, the okay. stock market started to tank. Default rates started to shoot through the roof. Uh, the list goes on and on. There's a strange parallel uh, uh, corollary between the health of the Knicks and the, and the U.S. Uh, economy and, and the fate of mankind. So, yes, it's very, very exciting what's happening.
3: Much like quantum entanglement, we don't understand how it works, (laughs) but we must accept that it does work. Adam, thank you so much.
0: My absolute pleasure.
3: (laughs) Adam, please stick around to join us on Take Survivor next.
5: At Amica Insurance...
3: Or take Survivor, the game in which only the strongest take survives today. We have four incredible contestants. Before I get to that, let me quickly explain the rules. We have three rounds, three prompts. Our contestants will vote on who must leave the island at the end of each round, leading to the finals, at which point the strongest take will be crowned. Joining us today, you know him as a director, as a producer, as a writer. Adam McKay. Adam, how are you today?
0: I'm good. I'm from, The brain's feeling loose. Uh, I feel like my mouth's going to say some things that will get clicks on social media. There'll be, if not scalding hot takes, at least lukewarm takes.
3: That's what we want. We want to feel absolutely comfortable as our hand slips into the take such that our bladder then loosens. Joining us next, <laughs> producer for this podcast, Elijah Cohen. Elijah, how are you?
4: I'm feeling good, Jason. This might just be my week.
3: I somehow doubt it. Also a (laughs) producer for this podcast, Zuri Irvin. Zuri, how are you today?
1: I'm feeling good. Um, I just hope we have fun and may the best take win. Or the The, worst one, uh, if if it's mine.
3: Tone of the (laughs) voice kind of went up at the end of that. That inflection that that betrays a, a nagging... Lack of confidence, but I can't wait to see what happens today. (laughs) I am the fourth contestant. Uh, I am uh, completely beside myself at any moment in time with uh, just absolute uh, terrible insecurity and depression, but I'm going to carry on. Our first prompt today, what is the most ideal name for a horse in the Kentucky Derby? Winner of the uh, Kentucky Derby this year, Medina. Medina. Medina, what is the ideal name for a horse competing in the Kentucky Derby? Uh, let's start with you, Zuri Irvin. Zuri, what is your horse name?
1: First of all, I'm thrilled to own a horse in the Kentucky Derby. Let's start there. But the most I- ideal name I'm looking for is this horse will win its next race. This horse will win its next race. Uh, if he struggles, doesn't matter. The wagers will be on his side. Uh, he's there for the long for the long haul. And if the horse happens to speak a little bit of English, maybe he gets a little confidence boost, knowing that uh, greener pastures are ahead.
3: A horse that speaks English— incredible stuff. Uh, Ronald Reagan <laughs> sitting up suddenly uh, in his grave and taking notice. Uh, Zuri Irvin's answer is: This horse will win its next race. T H W W I N R. Elijah Cohen. To you, your horse.
4: I'm going to keep it simple. I'm just going to say the best name for the horse would be The Rock. Because if I wanted to <laughs> see rock.
3: a human in horse form, it
4: would be The Rock. And also, I picture the call as he enters the last stretch of the race. He's taking the lead. The announcer shouting,
3: can you smell what The Rock is cooking? Well, unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> that actually works Uh, Shouts to our probably 46th or perhaps 47th president, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Adam McKay, up to you. Your name for a horse in the Kentucky Derby.
0: I don't know if there's a rule about how many words you can have in a horse's name. Well, I'm going to assume there's not. And I'm going to do the old joke that people used to do where they would get people paged at the airport, giving names that sounded like dirty words. So I'm going to make Mm. the announcer say something he doesn't want to say. And I'm going to say the horse's name is, I, your announcer, have a serious drinking problem and I need immediate (laughs) help.
3: (laughs) And coming, coming around is, I, your announcer, have a serious drinking problem and I need serious help. Uh, Adam McKay, it's a little bit of a mouthful, but I think it's hilarious. Uh, and now it's up to me, uh, Jason Concepcion. I will now choose uh, my name for a horse. And listen, I think that uh, we've got to, I think branding is so important in today's sports world. Uh, you want to call back to uh, something that it's existing in the popular culture. And therefore, my name for a horse will call back to uh, the biggest movie of all time Avatar. My horse's name will be Avatar is the biggest movie of all time. Uh that is my horse name. The Avatar is the biggest movie of all time. Let's go to the voting, everybody. Here we go. Uh, it is time to vote. Who is voted off the island? Will it be Adam McKay with I'm Your Announcer and I have a serious drinking problem? Will it be Elijah Cohn, The Rock? Can you smell what Elijah is cooking? Yes, that's right will it be Zuri Irvin with this horse will win its next race someone asked what about this one what about the race the horse is currently in which is the Kentucky Derby or will it be me who is voted off Avatar is the biggest movie of all time it's the name of my horse Uh, James Cameron agrees Uh, and the votes are coming in now Uh, we have one vote for Zuri Irvin uh, to be eliminated from the island, we have two votes for Zuri Irvin, and then finally, three votes for our first elimination, Zuri Irvin. This horse may win its next race, but Zuri Irvin will not be here to see it. Zuri, what do you have to say?
1: Not much. Um, I don't think I brought it today, but um, you know, maybe I, should, I should change my name to "I will advance and take survivor." It's uh my <laughs> intention, but um, well. I, I'm honored to be here, and uh, you know.
3: Well, uh, see you next time. And we are on to round two, round two and our prompt. Which character from the Adam McKay universe would make the best coach for the 1980s showtime Lakers? Elijah, let's start with you. Which character from the Adam McKay universe would make the best coach for the 80s Lakers?
4: Jason, I'm going to have to go out on a limb and say the best coach for the '80s Lakers would be Dick Cheney. Uh, wow! You know he's a leader. You know he's a leader. He was uh, president of the United States for eight years.
3: He was. Uh, yes, he was.
4: He motivated a whole country to go to war on false pretenses. So I can only imagine the bulletin board material he would put up on, like how the Celtics have like sarin gas or something in their arena. (laughs) The only downside is that he would be a very inaccurate shooting coach. So you have to get someone else. Mm,
3: uh, Nice. Nice. Elijah Cone with Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney, sufferer of a dozen heart attacks still with us. Uh, Adam McKay. Which character from your universe would have made the best coach for the 80s Lakers?
0: I'm going to go Brian Fantano.
3: Oh, wow.
0: I mean, here's what I like about him. First off, uh, he's got the style. He likes to party. He'd be in the Forum Club. You know, about an hour left in the game, he'd already be in the forum club. He'd probably wear a neck (laughs) scarf, uh, kind of a la Doug Moe and Larry Brown. I miss the days of the neck scarf on dudes. Uh, Also, no idea what he's talking about. No real knowledge of basketball, which with that team, uh, all respect to Pat Riley. Let's face it. You didn't really need like Magic Johnson was the conductor. So I'm going to go Fantana. The only problem is would miss a lot of games from STDs. Uh, (laughs) And uh, and the second the notion of sexual harassment started to emerge, which I think was the early 90s. His career is over.
3: That's correct. But you'd listen, but by then, uh, the team had run its course. Adam McKay selects Brian Fontana. Fontana from the Anchorman series. It's up to me, uh, Jason Concepcion. I am going to select Roman Roy from <laughs> Succession. Roman Roy from Succession. Now, we'd have to explain to him that it is, in fact, the Lakers and not the Clippers. There might be some confusion about which team he is coaching. Uh, Notably, he uh, bought the wrong Scottish Premier League team for his father, Logan. Uh, But after that, like, you know, as Adam said, I think that that's a team that runs itself. Uh, Roman would have a tremendous time uh, having a lot of very weird sexual dysfunction in 1980s Los Angeles. Uh, The team would continue to be successful. That is my answer, Roman. Roy Let's go to the voting folks Who will it be? Will it be Elijah Cohen Who says Dick Cheney, President of the United States For eight years uh, Would be the perfect coach For the 80's Lakers Would it be Adam McKay's selection of Brian Fantana uh, From the Anchorman Universe what a stylish man. What a, what a, what a good-looking man. Actually, the styles would, would fit for a lot of that run of the Lakers of the Lakers championship years. Will it be me who is uh, left off the island? I selected Roman Roy from succession. The votes are coming in now. One vote for myself. Terrible. one vote for Elijah. And breaking the tie. Our second person voted off the island. Elijah Cohen. Dick Cheney, not compelling enough. Elijah, what do you have to say?
4: Uh, I just have to say that I hope that uh, history will remember me more fondly than it's currently remembering Dick Cheney. Uh, And I'm just happy (laughs) to play today. Uh,
3: Elijah, uh, sad to see you go, but we are on to the finals. Uh, It is myself against Adam McKay, and here is our final prompt. Recently, Conor McGregor Uh, a good person, I haven't Googled that, but that's what I hear, has (laughs) sold his uh, whiskey company Proper 12 for $600 million, uh, proving yet again that capitalism absolutely works for everyone. Our question, what should Conor McGregor create or promote next? What should Conor McGregor create or promote as his next entrepreneurial venture? Adam McKay to you.
0: You know, I really like that Connor found his, his, uh, his lane, or as a lot of the, the young people like to say these days, his brand. And uh, I appreciate the fact that he's made his fortune, uh, putting people into submission holds, pounding their heads uh, into, uh, into CTE and filling their bellies with whiskey. So I'm going to stick with this line here. I think he's in the right direction. I'm going to go with vape pens, baby's first vape pen. <laughs> uh, so, applesauce flavored vape pens to get your child comfortable vaping uh, from the age of eight months on. Peach flavored vape pens. Oh, delicious, yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, nicotine is a very addictive chemical. Vape pens aren't going anywhere. Uh, I think Conor McGregor could really get in front of that business.
3: Conor McGregor and the vape pen. Babies versus Vape Pen, uh, an incredible pick. It's on to me. What should Conor McGregor create or promote next as his next entrepreneurial venture? I'm going to say uh, McGregs. What are McGregs, you ask? McGregs are Conor McGregor's trademarked truck nuts. You've seen truck nuts. You know what they are. They are the silicone testicles that hang off the back bumper of a vehicle. And we would hope a, 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 an SUV type gas guzzling vehicle. I think Conor McGregor needs to get in on this. Uh, and uh, as I said, he would name the product McGregs, McGregs. And they'd be uh, they'd be bigger than the normal truck nuts. They'd, they They drag along the ground. But it would just show you how uh, strong and how powerful and how, how much stronger than the asphalt these McGregs actually are. McGregs, that is my answer. And we move now to the voting. Now, I want like to remind our contestants we are voting for the winner here. We are voting for the winner today. Will it be Adam McKay, who says Conor McGregor should create a line of vape pens, including vape pens specifically for children? Let's get them started early, folks. Or will it be uh, me who wins today? Uh, I pitched McGregs, Conor McGregor's uh, branded truck nuts, truck testicles. They hang off the back bumper of your truck. The votes are coming in now.
0: I I like Jason's. I I would, in honor of Conor McGregor, but I'm going to trust the vote. I would almost submit, because I think Jason's is the winner, but I will trust the vote. I will abide by the election.
3: Well, I'm so glad to hear you say that, Adam. We definitely don't want any kind of stealing situation here in this democracy. That is Take Survivor Uh, and our champion today. Two votes coming in to you. Three votes coming in for Adam McKay, our winner of Take Survivor today. This is my fight song. Take back my life. Uh, Adam, what do you have to say?
0: I mean, I was trying to be gracious when I said I was going to submit to your take, but now that I've won, it feels shockingly good. I know this is kind of just <laughs> a fun little game, but yeah. man, I need my esteem needed this badly. So my heart's just pounding like a rock in a dryer right now, and uh, this is this is way too exciting. I don't know what it says about my mental health that I'm I'm this jacked up about this win.
3: Well, I, I, I would just like to note that, uh, one, that is normal. That does happen. One of our uh, <laughs> former contestants on Take Survivor, Trayvon Free, recently won the Oscar for Best Short. So uh, the Take Line bump and the Take Survivor bump is real. And that's what you're feeling in your bloodstream right now. Adam McKay, thank you so much for joining us.
0: My, I mean, to say pleasure is an understatement. My... Uh my orgasmic life moment (laughs) thanks to you jason and zuri and elijah this was honest to god like it's a cliche but thrill of a lifetime
3: thank you so much adam
0: (laughs) thanks you guys
3: It's time for our buzzer beaters, the place where we talk about the stories that are on our minds that maybe uh, don't fit into the larger conversation. Renee, what's on your mind?
2: Okay, so the Kentucky Derby. Yes, I'm talking about the Kentucky Derby, but not for the reasons you would think about. (laughs) I'm a sports person, so I like to see trends. And something that I saw was that Bob Baffert, the trainer, Mm -hmm. you might not have heard his name, but what you should know about him is that he has won now a record-breaking Seven Kentucky Derbies. So you guys might have been looking at the winning horse, which is Medina Spirit, Authentic in 2020, okay? Justify in 2018, American Pharaoh in 2015, War Emblem in 2002, real quiet, in 1998, (laughs) and Silver Charm in 1997. If all those names mean nothing to you, what they should mean to you is those are all his winning horses. He's won with all these different horses at all these different times, starting in 1997 to 2020, and now most recently this most recent one. It's crazy. And so, before we go, I had to give Bob a shout out because he's a champ and he's worth about 30 million. I'm just saying <laughs> he's doing good for himself. <laughs> I want I want player empowerment for the
3: horses in the oh Kentucky Derby, or I call or as I call it the Derb. I'm trying to rebrand the Kentucky Derby for uh, for the uh, Gen Z. Let's call it the Derb. My thing is. Like, let the horses decide. Let the horses decide who they want to train them, where they want to go, and what they want to be named. Playroom Empowerment for Medina, War Spirit Authentic, and the rest of them.
2: Okay, I'm going to counter you. I'm going to counter the derb. I love it. Give the horses extra sugar cubes. (laughs) If they win, they better receive preferential treatment. But for the Gen Z group, I'm going to counter your name with K-derb. Just give it a little bit K-nerv. K-nervs, okay? (laughs) K-nerv. What you got for your buzzer beater this week, Jason? Well, my
3: vax is locked in. My vaccine. uh, I've been slowly uh, catching up with friends in person. It's been great to see people that I haven't seen in the flesh in over a year. And I've been uh, putting some money back into the local economy. On that note, I went and got a massage. And I'd like to say this. What? Happened? I got beat up for 90 minutes. Oh my! Get, God. What? Like I, it felt like I was in a Muay Thai match, absolutely getting my <laughs> ass beat. But then, you know what? At the end of it, I felt great. I walked out of there, I felt a lot better. Okay.
2: But Jason, that's kind of like a sports massage. Like, every time I used to get, we call them sports massages because, like, they use their elbow, it's painful, it's torture, it's not what you would think of. You sounded like you got a sports massage. So do you feel athletic now? Like, you could go run, jump, what up? I don't feel, I
3: absolutely do not (laughs) feel athletic. But let me tell you, it was, it was wild. And she left there like, you're
2: welcome. That's it. I know.
3: Uh, listen, that's it. I'm feeling relaxed, Renee. Uh, I hope you're safe, and I hope everybody else in the Atlanta area is is staying safe right now uh, due to the inclement weather. But that's enough for us today. Please follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Or you wherever better you get your podcast. That's right. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode and every episode, plus my digital series, All Caps every Friday. Check it out. Goodbye. Later. Let's go. TakeLine is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibbel-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez.
5: At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent, being there day and night, and building a plan for tomorrow today for the ones you'll always look out for trust amica life insurance amica empathy is our best policy three great words free fries friday especially when they're used in that exact order get a free medium fries with one dollar minimum purchase Valid one time on Friday at participating mcdonald's through 1231 24 excludes tax must update rewards